Have you ever heard someone dressed down or have you ever been demeaned, heard that you were disgraceful or you were disgusting or you ought to be ashamed, you're rotten, you're used up, you're no good, you're loathsome, you're unworthy, you're useless, you're corrupt, you're evil, you're wrong, you're lousy. Maybe if someone just speaks a little word of correction, you hear way more than what they say because the voices in your head have these kind of things in it. You've been brainwashed. The Lord wants to renew our minds. When you hear those things, you just want to kind of disappear, don't you? You wish you were five years into the future when all this was over. You wish you could be invisible. You wish you were someone else. You want to shrink or withdraw or hide or escape. Maybe you look down. Maybe for some reason you walk around with your head down all the time because you have been beat down by life. If there's a word that could describe this condition, what would it be? It is the word shame. Can we read that together? Shame. There are shame-based cultures where anything but to be ashamed, people will kill if you have shamed them. Only Jesus has the remedy for shame. The religions of the world have good works to offer that you can do to try to get the shame off you. One religion, if you die of a martyr, then all your shame is removed. Our culture will heap shame on people. Things that aren't even against the law, they'll shame them for. Things that are politically incorrect, they'll shame them for. How does a person get shame off them? The Oscars supposedly are not going to have any um, MCs this year because of this issue. But Jesus has the answer. Can I get an amen? amen? We're in a series entitled Shame Off You. If that sounds foreign to you, it's because you've heard shame on you too many times. We're looking at John chapter 4, verse 3 to 43. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? 
as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. John chapter 4, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He's been in Jerusalem. He's in the region where Jerusalem is, Judea. And now he's going to head to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. But he needed to go through Samaria. Can you say needed? There was a strong desire. There was a need for him to go there. Now keep in mind, this is at the beginning of his ministry. He was introduced by John the Baptist to some of his followers as the Messiah that he had been preaching about. And so he gained five or six followers there through their influence. And he goes to where he's from, the region of Nazareth. And there they go to a wedding in Cana. And his mom gets him to perform his first public miracle there. It was uh, not like flashy, hey, water, wine, he did it behind the scenes. It's a good chance the people in need didn't even know they had been blessed like he did. But the shame that was going to come their way when they ran out of wine would stick with them probably for the rest of their life. And so there he did a kind thing for a newlywed couple and the master of the feast. Then from there he goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when Jewish wives are cleaning house, he goes in his father's house and cleanses the temple for the first time. And he does many mighty works. We don't know what they are, but we know Nicodemus came to see him at night. He's a Jewish religious authority, well-known man. And he heard the gospel through Jesus. That's where we get John 3.16 from, that conversation. And... Um, now he's going to go back to Cana, having been in Jerusalem, back into Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now this is a map of Israel. There's Judea. See Jerusalem down at the point of the red line there. And when Jews would travel to Galilee, they would go around Samaria. Samaria is a part of the world now known in the secular realm as the West Bank. What happened was a Land of Israel split in two due to the misbehavior of one of Solomon's sons who told him, if you thought, if my dad was tough, just wait till I get done with you. My dad's waist is like my little finger. And one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament says, uh, the family of David went back to their houses and Israel went back to their tents. So there was a civil uprising. The nation divided ten tribes in the northern kingdom and two tribes in the southern kingdom, the land of Judea. 
They got conquered by the Assyrians, and thousands of them were hauled off into captivity and re displaced into other lands, just like God had warned them. And their presence in Israel was replaced by foreigners that were displaced from another part of the land. And over the centuries, there had been intermarriage, and so these people were hated. They hated the fact that Jews had been displaced. They hated the fact that they'd been replaced with heathens, hated the fact that there had been intermarriage and religious confusion. The really devout Samaritans held to the Torah, but they didn't recognize the rest of the Tanakh. The Torah says nothing about Jerusalem, nothing about the temple, and so they would argue and have religious debates over this. And so the people of Judea considered them unclean, so they would go to the west on the other side of the Jordan River to avoid going to them out of the way, or they would go, uh, that would be to the east, or they would go to the west and head that direction up the coastline there. Jesus could have gone up the region of the Jordan River and visited John the Baptist because chapter 3 says John the Baptist was in Ainon near Salim. But he didn't do it. He needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So, this well is outside this city. Now, why would they build a city and have it away from the water source? Because Sychar, is believed, had a spring of water. And the water was better in town. So here this woman is at noon in the heat of the day going to get water out of the village from a prestigious place, the well of Jacob. And it's believed that water there could have been actually runoff water, kind of like a cistern, but it was better than putting up with uh, what she would have to put up with because of her lifestyle. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. The third hour is 9 a.m. The sixth hour would be noon. Now he was tired. Well, I thought he was the son of God. He is, but he's also the son of man. He is God who made the decision to live as man anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are men and women anointed by the Spirit, are we not? And we do get tired, so don't be, don't be fasting sleep. You need it, right? If you go too long without sleep, you'll start seeing things. So it's about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now some really devout Jews wouldn't speak to their wives in public. That's what religion can do to you without the grace of God in it. I grew up in churches where 
husband didn't call their wives by their first name at church. My dad called my mom Sister Latta. My mom called my dad Brother Latta. Just the way it is. So one of our jokes is uh, if your dad calls your mom sister in public, you might be, I won't name, I won't name the denomination. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We already explained that. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now he's speaking spiritual water. He's speaking truth that she needs. He's speaking of something that will satisfy the thirst she just can't seem to get over in her life. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? This well is like 75 feet deeper, even deeper, depending on the time of year. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Notice she's bringing up her ethnicity. She's claiming Jacob as her forefather. And drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. This was tough, having to carry a stone water pot out of town during the heat of the day to avoid people. And here Jesus is offering her water. It relates to it, though, because what he does in her life makes a huge change. Jesus said to her, verse 16, go call your husband and come here. Jesus answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Let's pause for a few minutes. As a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is sharing is what we call a word of knowledge. Of the nine ways the Holy Spirit operates, called the charismatas or the gifts of the Spirit, it includes the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is insight given by God that helps one uh, with wisdom they need for their present condition or their future decisions. A word of knowledge is insight given by God related to a person's past or a person's present situation. Now, these gifts are given for the profit of all. They're given not to shame people. They're given to take the shame off of them. They're given to open a way to minister life to people. And I believe many times we probably get words of knowledge, but because it's not outreach night or door knocking day or outreach week, we don't do it. The Great Commission says, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything I commanded. We think, okay, when we go, we will do that. I'm not going to do that today. 
Literally, the Greek word there for go means as you are going. As you're going to all the world, anywhere you go, make disciples. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's going for a drink. He's thirsty. He's tired. Here's someone with a container, and, and they can attach that container to a rope and can bring it up full of water, and he can get a drink. And it led to ministry opportunity because of this word of knowledge. I believe it happens to a lot of people and can happen to more if you begin to expect it. Whoever prays, Lord, lead me and guide me today. That's about more than just, Lord, help me not to have any wrecks or help me not to be dumb. But it's, Lord, lead me to someone that I can minister life to. Now, I'm married to a person, this happens all the time. There's always divine appointment stories that I hear about every day. Uh, this has begun happening more and more in the life of Elder Greg. Greg, come and share us about some words of knowledge you've been getting. When we opened up the service this morning, wow, that's hot, um, Chris Willis prayed over us that we would leave this place, that we would go out, and that we would show people love and power and the glory of God. Amen. Uh, Pastor Allen, Brother Latta. <laughs> <laughs> asked me to share just a couple of things that have happened to me in the last few weeks that kind of serve to illustrate how we can go out into the, into, the, into the world and show people the love of God. I've selected two testimonies, but there are many testimonies that I can tell you that I have. This first one uh, happened over the course of this past week. We had some electrical work being done at our home. Two electricians came out. Uh, while they were doing the work, um, the, the Lord gave me a word for one of the, the younger electrician, and I didn't feel like I was released to give it. So the work was completed, and they were getting ready to leave, and Marietta, I was sitting out on the patio on a work call. Marietta came and got me and said, hey, these guys are getting ready to leave, and nobody leaves our house, you know, if, if Marietta's involved, without getting prayer. So Marietta came and got me and said, hey, these guys are getting ready to leave. we got to go pray for them. I said, okay, that's cool. I, this is my opportunity to release this word. So as I walked up to this young man, I said, hey, have you got something going on with your legs or your feet? And he looks at me. He kind of rocks back on his heels a little bit, no pun intended, but he says, no, I'm good. I said, okay, no problem. So we went ahead and we laid hands on this young man. We prayed over him for the issue that he had given us. And then he left. He, he departed. The next day, I found out that uh, two of the outlets that these guys had installed were the wrong color. So I texted the lead electrician. I said, look, you guys installed two of the outlets that are the wrong color. It's no worries, no problem, no hurry. You don't have to come anytime soon but you just need to be aware of this and they need to be changed out at some point when it's convenient. He said, okay. A couple hours later, I get a call. They're on their way. So I have to go back to the house. I meet the two guys. They get the outlets changed in about three minutes. I'm not kidding. It was that quick. And so when we walked out into the garage, I was just thanking them for coming so quickly. And the young man that I had prayed over said, I have to ask you something. And I said, yeah, what's that? He said, and he looks really deeply into my eyes. He says, how did you know about my legs? And I said, God told me. God told me. He says, 
well, I didn't tell you. He said something along the lines of, I didn't tell you, but my legs have been killing me. I couldn't even sleep the last couple of nights. I said, I know. He said, can you pray for me? I didn't have to ask to pray for Can you pray for me? Amen. And so the next day, I got to go ahead and, 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 and know that the Lord was speaking and be able to minister into this young man's life and to demonstrate that he is seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm sure that he goes out and he becomes an evangelist for God. Um, I want to tell you, if I can get through it, the, the, the thing that wrecked me for all of this, and this happened several weeks ago, um, we were in Keller at a restaurant, and there was a pretty large party, and I'm going to try to get through this testimony. Um, we were being served by a, a, a man that just had a wonderful smile and a sweet, sweet spirit full of joy. And he was serving us, and he was doing a great job at the restaurant in the Keller. But as he was serving us, I was looking at him, and I could see what God revealed to me. And I mean, I literally, I literally felt the grief, the grief. So <clears throat> he was over at his bus station taking care of some iced tea or something, and I just I needed to go over there and talk to him. So I went over there. And I just reached out to him, and I, I told him his name, because I knew his name, and I reached out, and I touched him, and I said, look, God is telling me that you have a wonderful spirit, and you're full of joy normally, but right now you're hiding a mask of grief. <laughs> so the man re reached out to me, and he grabbed my arm, and he pulled me close, and he said, how did you know this? And I said, God told me. God told me. And um, he said, I, I need somebody to talk to. And I said, well, I'm here to listen. Um, he told me that his mom, he had brought his, several weeks before, he had brought his mom out of Mexico so that she could have surgery to repair a pacemaker. Um, while the his mom was in the hospital, uh, and this guy was relatively young, and he lived with his sister. While his mom was in the hospital, his sister died unexpectedly. And he had to go and tell his mom, who was in the hospital, that his sister had passed away. And he was just wrecked by all of this. Wrecked by all of it. And I was the one that came to him and and it, it was the first time that he'd actually been able to talk because he knew that God was reaching out to him. He grabbed my hand. He came back later. He gave me his telephone number. And I'm still in contact with this man in Keller via telephone ministering to him. He recognizes that the power of God is at work. And the power of God, lo God loves him through what he revealed to me. So... I made a decision right then that I'm going to go ahead and walk in whatever God is doing here. It has the power to change people's lives. It has the power to minister to people. It has the power, just like we're reading in this story today, to create evangelists. Amen. 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 
So I'm going to pray over us. I just want to say this, that this is not me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Colossians 1 says that he has revealed unto us the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what it's all about. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? So I'm going to pray over all of us and ask God, to, the Holy Spirit, to release this gifting in us because it has the power to not only change you, but to change our world. So, Father, I just thank you for the people that are listening today, Father. I thank you that you love them so much. You love them so much. Fill them with your love. Attune their ears to your voice. Attune their hearts to your heart for people, Lord. Fill them up with your spirit. Give them the boldness that they need to approach people when they get a word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Dave. The Lord told her, go call your husband and come here. She said, I have no husband. Now, she's not telling the whole story. She's not falling on her face saying, my life's a mess. Nope, just, I have no husband. She's guarded. Maybe she's telling him, hey, I'm single. You know, I don't know. Jesus said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. So the Lord did not recognize her present relationship as being married in the eyes of God. Some people are living together, they're not married. Well, we're married in the eyes of God. Well, here's a case where someone was living with someone else and they were not married in the eyes of God. Here's God talking to her. The one you have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. What's the woman going to say? You're right, you're right. No, she doesn't. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she brings up a religious question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. You know, we have the original proof. You know, we have the Torah and you guys have added stuff here. Kind of like some Texans. They want Texas to become a nation again. I have a friend that lost his house because he declared his property to be an independent nation because of what some document said centuries ago. God's truth is line upon line, precept upon precept. Revelation is progressive. It's important that we walk in present truth. But that's where she was at. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. There's coming some changes. There's coming a shift. And basically the people denouncing the Samaritans today aren't going to make the shift. They're going to be stuck in the past too. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. 
when he comes, he will tell us all things. So here he is appearing, here she is appearing knowledgeable. You know, this is a good way to settle this thing and hide my lack of understanding. And Jesus surprises her with a revelation. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice the word he is in italics. I who speak to you, I, I who speak to you am. Literally, it could be translated, I am the one speaking to you. This is the first instance where the Lord says, I am. In John, there's eight other places, actually six other places, and two, one of them is repeated twice, where he says, I am. I am is God's name. Here he reveals who he is. I am the Messiah. At that point, his disciples came. Remember, they went into town to buy food, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, a Samaritan woman at that, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. Her life had been changed. And said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. All he said was, you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. He cut to the heart of her matter. She was thirsting for security. She was thirsting for spiritual fulfillment. She was thirsting for something marriage cannot produce. As much of a blessing as a spouse is, stop expecting her or him to be God in your life. Amen. Well, he thinks he is God. Well, he's not. Don't expect him to be. Back off and make room for Jesus, and he will learn. So she goes into the city, comes see a man. He told me everything I ever did. He, he is the heart of the issue. He is. What are you thirsting for? Jesus is the answer. What's, what's your question? The answer is, I am. Lord, what about my marriage? The answer is, I am. What do I do with my girlfriend? I am am. What do we do with the mess that I'm in? I am. What do we do with the thing I just can't be satisfied with in life? I am. In time, the I am would sort out everything in her life. But right now, the change had begun, and she was bold. She wasn't hiding. She ran in and approached the men of the city. Listen, I found the Messiah. She's excited. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. He was hungry for something else. He was hungry to help humanity. Remember, he needed to go to Samaria. He was hungry to reach lost people. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life 
that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. This is exactly what happened a few years later. The gospel through the church, sending out a Philip the evangelist, a guy that was one of the seven men in charge of their Meals and Wheels program, contemporary of Stephen, the first martyr, takes the gospel and sees a mighty harvest in this territory. It all goes back to the seed sown right here. Many of the Samaritans, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world the Messiah. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Shame off you and others. Last Sunday was part one of this series. The notes when I speak are usually in the bulletin. They're in there today if you need something to write on. We talked about the roots and remedy of our shame last week, which I believe is actually a paradigm for understanding how shame functions. We go to creation, the story of the first man and first woman. They were unashamed. It wasn't just that they were not being ashamed of being naked. They were just not ashamed. It wasn't in their vocabulary. It wasn't in the human experience. And then they crossed the line. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And suddenly they're hit with shame, knowing they were naked. Failing to obey resulted in the world's first cover-up attempt. The eyes of them both were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Why fig leaves? Well, you sure don't want to make coverings out of holly bush leaves, do you? They're pretty prickly. Fig leaves are big, big, so it takes less leaves. To make an apron or a covering out of live oak leaves would take a lot of work. And so they quickly made themselves clothes. Quickly. Quick, cover up. Quick, quick, quick. This is the response of shame. Quickly, cover it up. Hide it. Sweep it under the rug. Being afraid and ashamed caused them to hide from God. They heard him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid themselves in the trees in the middle of the garden. God calls out, where are you? Why are you hiding? Well, I knew I was ashamed and naked, so I hid myself. Dodging guilt and shame, they tried to shift the blame. The man says, the woman you gave me, she gave me to eat and I ate. So God, it's your fault. It's her fault. And of course, she blamed the devil. The first, the devil made me do it concept. Christians do this a lot, even to this day. Well, I'm under attack of the devil. Well, when the devil attacks, he has to have an opening, right? The fruit of their being ashamed included renaming. After the fall into sin, Adam gave his wife a new name. 
Genesis chapter 5 says, In the day God created man, he made him male and female and named them Adam. Her name was Adam, so it was his. When Adam first saw her, he broke forth into song. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Somebody said, he said, whoa, man. <laughs> he, he, being in Hebrew, being ish, she was isha. Somebody else said, he said, isha. All right. And then the remedy of all that is found in the curse. Given as a result of their sin, there's this promise made to them that was a curse to the serpent who attempted them to eat of the forbidden fruit. He told the serpent, I would put enmity. Otherwise, you're not going to be fellowshipping together between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Notice seed singular. And you shall bruise his heel. Notice Heel is singular. When a person is crucified, hanging on three nails, the weight of their body goes on the three nails, and those singular nail through the feet puts the weight of the body on one heel. So his heel was severely bruised, fulfilling this promise to take away the consequences of shame. Maybe your name is Jesse James. Well, he has given you his name. You're now part of the body of Messiah. You're part of the redeemed community. You're part of the church of the living God. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the most high God. You're part of the bride of Christ. New name, no longer in need to be labeled or label others. This is the consequences of sin when you call people names. It goes all the way back to the fall. Dodging guilt and shame, they tried to shift the blame. No longer necessary to do that. Jesus took the blame. He became, 2 Corinthians says, he became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. He took our place so that we could take his place. He came down so that we could go up. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He died so that we could live. He became poor so that we might be made rich. He became our substitute that we might become his representatives. Took the blame away. Hiding from God, we don't have to hide from God. We can boldly come to the throne of grace and find help in time of need because through his human experience, he knows what it's like to be one of us. He understands our weaknesses, although he never sinned. And we don't have to cover up anything because Jesus takes it away. He takes away our nakedness. He takes away our shame. Better than a cover-up. He redeems us, restores us back to an unashamed state. Now, he doesn't make shameful things no longer shameful. He makes ashamed people no longer ashamed. And in his power... He works out through his leading them. He works out all those shameful things that he finds us in and sorts their life out, which no doubt is what happened in the life of this woman. So this is a paradigm for understanding the operation of shame. And I see these things happening in the life of this woman in this story. And I share it, not that we might use it to condemn others and to, to say, 
Uh, you know what you're doing? You're covering up or you're blame shifting. No, just understand where they're coming from and their need to know Jesus. He's the answer, right? Otherwise, we're right back to labeling people. That's all the world can do, really, with our disorders is label us. Give it a name, you know. Give it a name. Give it a drug to deal with the symptoms and not remove the cause. Shame causes so much problems in the world. So in this story, what was the function of her shame and its remedy? Initiating conversation, Jesus pursued her in her shame. Like God in the cool of the day calling out, Adam, where are you? Here he is in the heat of the day initiating a conversation with a woman whose life is a mess. And he asked her for a drink. There's a poem you're going to view in a few minutes that says, no drink from these hands could ever refresh any man. And yet he asked her for a drink. And then he initiated this word of knowledge that he had, go call your husband and come here. He's, he's going to the heart of her need to bring freedom to her. Her response could have been her own cover-up attempt, not a fig leaf, but an attempt to hide the story. She said, I have no husband. Not coming out with the issue, you know, hey, I need help. Being ashamed surely caused her to try to hide from God. He said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Did she say, you're right? <laughs> I need help. No. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know, I, I know things. I can perceive things. And you must be a prophet. What's that doing? She's hiding her issue. She needs help. She just doesn't know who she's talking to. Dodging guilt and shame, she tried changing the subject. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? What does that have to do with the subject at hand? Bringing up a religious debate. She's changing the subject. She can't shift the blame. She doesn't know anything about Jesus to, to poke at. So she tries. This is what people do. They'll, they'll change the subject on you. Why? They do not know that Jesus came to take our shame. The remedy for her shameful messes are found in the man seated at the well. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the one speaking to you. Some have said Jesus never said he was a Messiah. Oh, yes, he did. Here's the first place he said it. Another place is in Matthew 16. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. I say to you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. He agreed with Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. This is the remedy to all her problems. And I am. What am I going to do? I am. Where am I going to go? I am. What is the answer? I am. How am I going to drink and eat? I am. 
How am I going to sort out my messes? I am. It's found in a relationship with the Messiah, which began that day. The woman was transformed. She left her water pot, went her way into the city to the people she was hiding from, and said to the men, come see a man. She risked him saying, oh, another man, number eight? No, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, did he tell her everything she ever did? Well, he went to the, to the heart of the matter. She was thirsty for something that relationships could not satisfy. That applies to a lot of people in this room. What are you looking for for satisfaction that the Lord has? He is the I am. And shame is keeping you away. The Messiah came for you, just like he came for this woman. Shame off you is not just us, but it's also about others. He didn't bring us this far to leave us, and he didn't bring us this far just to clean us up, but he brought us this far to help others know who he is. If the woman at the well were a poet, and she told a story, what would she say? I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be. You tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. No sin, no shame, no guilt, nor stain can stand before the great I am. Shame off you and others. Shame off you for 
others. Father, I pray that your word would come alive in us, that we would receive freedom from every ounce of shame that we carry from our past. Lord, I pray especially for those persons that are ashamed of things they did after they were a Christian. I pray, Lord, that they would know that they know that they know that they know the Messiah came for his own if he didn't come for anybody else. He came for us. Help us all to walk fully in our inheritance and receive freedom from shame that you came to bring us. In Jesus' Oh,
us to deal with every shameful thing in our lives. Stop blaming others. Stop trying to cover up. Stop trying to change the subject. Let the Lord change your life. Repent. He wants to take the shame away. Amen? Amen. Live in light of the purification that the blood of Jesus brings and not under some fleshly attempt with fig leaves. Amen? Amen? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you help this shameful, shame-ridden world find freedom in Christ as God gives you insights and in how to start conversations and lead to prayer opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, Tigers.